ಓಸುದೇವಸುತ ಕಂಸಚಾಡೋರಮರ್ದನಂ ದೇವಕೀ ಪರಮಂದಂ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ವಂದೇ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು ವಿ ಆರ್ ಸ್ಟಡಿಯಿಂಗ್ ದ ಏಟ್ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಭಗವದ್ಗೀತಾ the it's known as akshara brahma yoga akshara is another name of brahman now what's going on in the eighth chapter is this remember the bhagavad gita has this rough sort of rough division uh, of um, three sets of six chapters each first six chapters the next six chapters and the final six chapters and uh, from our perspective our means from the advaita perspective we say that it corresponds to the three parts of the mahavakya tatvamasi um tvam means you what's what's your nature our real nature that was the subject of the first six chapters chapter 1 to 6 atma who am i then the next six chapters where we are now we are squarely in that it's about god tat that that reality about god and finally the last six chapters starting from the 13th are supposed to be about the identity of our real nature and god's real nature tatvamasi that thou art the great equation the great identity which is basically advaita vedanta again a very rough very broad picture uh, you can always say that there are uh, it it isn't quite true and there are many discussions of knowledge uh, of um, you know self knowledge here in the chapters which are supposed to deal with bhakti and there are many descriptions of bhakti later on in the last six chapters which is supposed to tell you the identity between the sentient being and uh, the absolute reality anyway but in this chapter it is about devotion the from again from an advaitic perspective what's going on here is one way the royal way the direct way is to realize who we are i am brahman realize that and you you have freedom you have attained uh, freedom ultimate release your infinite nature you realize you are brahman you are shiva you can honestly claim you know when you sing chidananda roopa shivoham we can honestly claim that it is true i see that it is true and that's moksha that's jivan mukti liberated while living however that may not be everybody's cup of tea there may be many there are many many people who might not want that way at all there is another way the other way is devotion to god that is also way to what way to liberation way to liberation through devotion to god how does that work so i may not be interested in that advaitic way the way of knowledge why not well one reason might be that i don't feel ready for that yet i don't get it it doesn't um, uh, you know i feel myself inadequate i, I don't um, t- i think that's later on or higher or it could just be a matter of mental makeup of of taste it is just something that does not attract me a person may be quite advanced in spiritual life but through and through a devotee and wants to maintain this distance this difference between oneself and the god which one worships like sri ramakrishna said doesn't want to become sugar wants to taste sugar so there are there are many such people we have to admit there are many such people what does vedanta what does advaita vedanta say about that advaita vedanta says that there is this second path it is called krama mukti 
sequential liberation. Krama, sequential. Mukti, liberation. So sequential liberation. The first path is called Sadhya Mukti. Sadhya, immediate. Right now. Uh, mukti, liberation. I realize I am Brahman. Your task is done. You are free. In this life, here and now. But I, I don't do that. And I still maintain I am this person, Sarva Priyananda. Then my real nature, Brahman, is now God for me. I, I see that as the reality behind this entire universe. And I establish a relationship of devotion, of adoration, of worship. And that devotion can be of many types. It could be a mother and child relationship like Sri Ramakrishna. It could be like the Christians or the Jews have a father and child relationship. God is my father. Or it could be the opposite. God is my child. <laughs> Just the opposite. But like uh, the baby Krishna or the baby Jesus, you have, or baby Rama, uh, God as a baby. Uh, or it could be God as a friend. Arjuna and Krishna have that relationship. God as a friend. Uh, God as the beloved, like the gopis and Krishna, or Radha and Krishna. Uh, and so many. These are all relationships. They are all dualistic in nature and that there is God. I also know, I may also acknowledge in some ultimate philosophical sense, we are one reality. But my focus is, I clearly am this person and God is this cosmic person whom uh, I have love, devotion, surrender, faith. So that will lead to the path of sequential liberation compared to the path of immediate liberation. Now, right now, one might ask before we go ahead, why not immediate? It sounds nice, immediate liberation. So why would anybody want sequential liberation? Well, for the same two reasons, which I mentioned earlier. One is, one might feel unable to. That, uh, I don't get it. It's not working for me, your path of knowledge. Or the second reason is, it might be a matter of taste. I don't care for that. I want the scenic route. You want the game to end. You think it's all maya, samsara, and you want liberation from samsara. Well, for me... It's delightful to be in love with God. And I want, to, I want to exist like this. I'm full of devotion. I enjoy this relationship with God. And I want to be in this life, a devotee of God. In, after death, I want to be a devotee of God. If there are future lives, in future lives too, I may be a devotee of God. The prayer of Kunti who says to Krishna, that may I be born, I'm, let me be born again and again. I don't even want the moksha which Advaitins talk about. But in whatever life, let there be sorrow, suffering. But may I have unshaken, unshakable devotion at thy feet. That's one thing I want. I want that you are that I will not forget you. I will always uh, have love and devotion and surrender to you. Now that's the path. That's the other path, the scenic route, and that's also wonderful. What will happen there? Again, I'm talking about classical Advaita Vedanta. So this you see in the Upanishads and in the Bhagavad Gita. This chapter and it's there in the Upanishads also. This path of sequential liberation, what does it mean? It means having led a moral life and spiritual practice, karma yoga, bhakti yoga, and meditation, having done all of that um, at the um, time of death, one thinks about God. Why? Because one has been thinking about God all one's life. And then after death, one goes, does not take any more for births, one goes to heaven. One goes to the loka. In Vedanta, it's called Brahma Loka. That Brahma Loka is basically the heaven of all religions. Uh, it is Vaikuntha for the Vaishnavas. It is Kailasha for the Shaivites. 
it is Devi Loka for the devotees of the Divine Mother. It is the Christian heaven, the Muslim heaven. Uh, I might go so far as to say it's the pure land of the Buddhas, where there's no question of God also, but still there's a heaven. Uh, so it is a world, it is a continued existence, but a very exalted, a very divine kind of existence. So that continues. And Advaita Vedanta being Advaita Vedanta will say, is that enough? No, no, no. We will say that's not enough. The dualist will say that's enough. You will remain eternally in the blissful companionship of God. No. You still have to realize that you are Brahman. Otherwise, that ultimate freedom is not there. So there also, you end up in heaven and there are, there will be Vedanta classes there, presumably over Zoom or some kind of thing. And uh, God will teach you the Kathopanishad or the Gita or whatever. And then, then you will get realization. And I'm not joking. That's what classical Advaita Vedanta holds. Even Ramana Maharshi, that very cute story is there. And actually verified, it's a true story. Somebody went and asked Ramana Maharshi um, that I am not so interested in your who am I. But it's very unfair because that was Ramana Maharshi's main plank, you know. Like if you go and say, I don't interest, I'm not interested in your main product, then why are you here at all? But he says, I am devoted to. Narayana to the Lord Vishnu. Is that all right? No, he was a very humble and guileless person. So Ramana Maharshi was very affectionate. He said, yes, yes, it's all right. So it's all right if I'm devoted to Narayana? Yes. And after death, will I go to Narayana? Yes, you will. I will. Yes, you will. Will I see Narayana? Yes, you will. Oh, I will see Narayana after death. Yes. And will Narayana with God see me? Yes. Oh, Narayana will see me, will look at me. Yes. And will he speak to me? Yes, yes, he will speak to you. God will speak to me. Yes. What will he say? What will he say? He will say, find out who I am. <laughs> find out who am I. So, ultimately, the God will also tell you to attend Vedanta classes. Uh, but that's, that's classical Advaita Vedanta. The dualistic schools of Vedanta will say that all that's not necessary. You be with God. And Sri Ramakrishna gives an in-between. He says, if it is necessary, my mother will tell me. If the Veda Vedanta, what, what your Veda Vedanta, he, he tells Satutapuri, what the Veda Vedanta say that mother has shown me. All of that is there. So God will give us the knowledge if necessary. So a devotee can be relaxed there. Devotee need not worry. So that those non-dualist fellows, what they are studying, Am I missing out? It's like divine. Fear of missing out. They call FOMO. Fear of missing out. So divine FOMO. Fear of missing out. Am I missing out on something? No. God will take care of it. God will uh, give you that knowledge if it's necessary for you. So in this seventh chapter, we are looking at that Krama Mukti. Sequential liberation. The most important verse we have already seen was the fifth verse and the Seventh verse, fifth and seventh verses. The fifth, we have already done these two, but quickly. Antakale chama meva smaran muktva kale varam yaf prayati samamad bhavam yati nastyatra samshaya. At the time of death, one who remains absorbed in my thought, uh, who leaves this body, will attain to me and will not. Um, you know, go through that cycle of transmigration. That person has passed karma. That karma will not catch hold of him. He will not be forced into rebirths again. 
and this is a very big statement so that's why krishna adds nasty atrasamshaya do not doubt this this is quality control given by heaven then um, the seventh mantra says seventh shloka says that in order to that we may attain this blessed recollection of god at the time of death we uh, one must practice recollectedness of god keep my keep one's mind on god throughout one's life a lead a deeply devotional spiritual life seventh mantra tasmat sarveshu kaleshu mamanusmara yuddhya cha mai arpita mano buddhi mame vaishyasya samshaya therefore what do you mean therefore because you have to think about god at the point of death therefore at all times not at the point of death at all times think about god all right i'll only think about god then i won't do anything i've been asked to think about god so i'm going to give up my job and go to an ashram and think about god he says yuddhyacha fight the battle of life wherever you are in your personal kurukshetra battlefield of life uh, at home in a community in your job you have to fight the battle of life you cannot run away from there then with your mind and intellect dedicated to me mai arpita mano buddhi i am not going to the details we have already discussed this then you will come to me because in that and end of your time of your days you will remember god at the time of your passing that also by the grace of god and then one might think you know at the time of passing suppose i am unconscious or weak or i am in coma doesn't matter if one has thought of god all through one's life one need not fear many people say in old age i am unable to do the japa i used to do something not enough and now i can't even do that much don't worry you think you are going to catch hold of god by your japa by your meditation no god is going to catch hold of you god has got a hold of you you can't catch hold of god we cannot it's much better that god catches hold of us and god has got hold of us there's no doubt about it if you have been initiated if you have got a mantra you are in the safe hands of saguna brahman brahman with attributes the god of religion that's the safest place to be all right now going further the next few month, uh, verses shlokas are very beautiful very poetic soaring sublime eighth अभ्यासयोगयुक्तेन चेतसानान्यगामिना परमं पुरुषं दिव्यं याति पार्थानुचिन्तयन् with a mind that has taken to this to the way of constant practice and does not stray to anything else one who thinks of the supreme divine being attains him o partha so you have to make a mind like this chetasa by a mind what kind of mind um na anyagamina does not go to anything except god at the time of practice and at other times see our minds are like spring you know you press it down it goes down the more, as long as the weight is there it's there as when you let it go it springs back again so our minds we are controlling it by effort but desires anxieties worldliness it's all teeming there and you let it go it will come back again it will take possession of you again it will push you back into the world the mind has not been prepared 
But here Krishna says, over a lifetime of effort, these devotees, they have prepared the mind. Na anyagamina, the words mean, does not go elsewhere. So I, I still remember very vividly something that revered Swami Bhuteshanandaji Maharaj told us. I was there at that time when he was telling this. Uh, he was the 12th president of our order. When he said that he was in his late 90s. He was talking about his days in the Himalayas in, uh, and he spent in meditation. So at one time he did intense tapasya, austerities in the mountains, staying in a little cottage, uh, begging for food and meditating day and night. Uh, great austerity. For example, many things he told us. One, one example was um, one day it was so cold, uh, he had got some uh, rice and uh, he was about to boil the water and, and have boiled rice for food. It was too cold, snowing outside, no, no chance of going out for begging for food. So he heated water and he was boiling the rice and it wouldn't boil properly, it was too cold. And he was trying and trying, hours passed and then he, he felt overcome with remorse. He said, I started thinking, is this what I have come here for? To spend hours to prepare this miserable, you know, <laughs> handful of rice. I have not come here for this. So he waited for it to cool down. And then he stuffed the half-boiled rice into his mouth and washed his mouth and sat down for meditation again. So like this, uh, he spent time. Once, of course, there's no electricity or anything like that. And it was getting dark. And he said... Uh, sitting for meditation, it was getting dark. He would spend a whole night in meditation after the sunset. It was getting dark. Suddenly he saw this huge snake slither into the room. Probably it was a little warmer than outside. So we were all stunned. And he said immediately after that, darkness fell. And uh, we asked, Swami, what did you do? It's dark. He doesn't have any, any light. And there's a snake, in, big snake in the room. And there's no furniture. He's on the ground. The snake is on the ground. He said, the snake stayed and I also stayed. In the morning, I, I saw when the sunlight came in, the snake had left. But imagine staying in a room like that. And he spent the night in meditation. What tremendous um, focus it takes. And, um, you know, a kind of complete detachment from, from what happens, you know, life or death. Uh, it's unthinkable, a mind like that. So preparing a mind like that. Now, he told us, one day, after many days of meditation, he said, I was sitting in meditation and I let the mind go. Honestly, I told the mind, you think about whatever you want. You think about whatever you want. In the privacy of my own heart, you know, nobody will know. I want to see honestly where the mind goes. And he said, the mind immediately went. He said in Bengali, Prabhu Shri Charoni Chalegala. The mind rushed to the, uh, the holy feet of the Lord. Uh, so in, in the heart, you know, it mind rushed there. That's a prepared mind. It's the greatest treasure one can have. So, chetasa na anyagamina. Anyagami means it does not go to the world, does not go to relatives, does not go to property, does not go to my, um, you know, name and fame, my uh, relationships, my problems, my issues my fears, my anxieties, my hatred, none of that. It goes straight to the Lord. How does that happen? Abhyasa Yoga Yuktena. Abhyasa Yoga Yuktena. 
constantly dedicated to practice. So the nature of practice is repetition. Repetition means constantly bringing the mind back to the object of meditation. Here it is God. In whichever form, whatever the Guru has taught you, in that form. Practice means repetition. Knowledge means the breakthrough, realization. I am that. But practice means repetition. So one must keep on repeating. Normal flow of the mind is against repetition. It likes variety. And it likes going. It has patterns. Mind always has patterns. We don't think of new things every day. We would either be crazy or geniuses if we thought of really new things to think of every day. It goes to the same patterns, but it's scattered. So the way the mind functions is, is to it goes from one link to another. Like a monkey climbs a tree and then jumps from one branch to another tree. It doesn't climb down the tree and then climb another tree. It jumps from one branch to another branch of another tree. So our mind goes from one topic to another. If you follow the mind, it goes like that. That's why the mind loves browsing on the internet. One of the worst things one can do. But it, the mind loves that because the internet is designed in that way. You see something, you click there, it goes somewhere else. See something there, you click there, it goes somewhere else. The mind really likes that. That's how the mind functions. But if you do japa, what happens is the mind uh, is forced, the monkey is forced to stay on the same tree. It jumps to another tree, you bring it back to that tree. Jump to another tree and gone quite far, you bring it back to that original tree again. What is the original tree? The form of the Lord and the mantra given to you by the Guru. It is very good training for the mind. That is the preparation for the mind. And do it uh, for extended periods of time, for many, many years, mind is transformed. So that's a very powerful practice. That's not the only practice. Uh, prayer is a very powerful practice. Devotional music is another powerful practice. So chetasa nanyagamina abhyasa yoga yuktena with the practice of repetition. What do you attain? Beautiful language here. Paramam purusham divyam. Div, uh, paramam. Paramam means uh, beyond all limitation. It is not something limited in one particular place. And God is only in heaven or only in this image, only in that temple. No. It is beyond all limitations of space. It's not only limited in time that God is only after death or after the coming of the avatar or the, the second millennium or something like that. No. God is always. God is everywhere. God is always. And God is all things because we non-dual. There is nothing apart from God. So whatever we come across, we realize it is God only. God has no limitations. There is nothing apart from God. That is paramam. In technical language, desha kala vastu paricheda shunyam. Devoid of limitations of time, space, object. Devoid of time limitation, eternal. Devoid of space limitation, all-pervading. Devoid of object limitation, non-dual. So, this is the meaning of paramam. Purusham. Purusham here means the, the, the spirit, the Atman, Brahman. All of them are used, the term is used is purusha. Not a material entity. Not an object, not a thing. Purusham. Um, another meaning of purusham is purishayanat who resides in the city. Which city? The body is the city. The one who resides in this city is called Purusha. The one who sleeps or resides or reclines in the city of the body. Purusham. 
what is this um, god made of divyam shining consciousness it is awareness that shining everything else shines by its light everything is lit up yati you reach you reach how in two ways one way is by the way of knowledge you realize i am that this is talking about my real nature i am not this limited being i am that non dual limitless effulgent deity which others worship as god i am one with that or the second way is that you actually go go means after death one feels that one is living in the presence of this divinity so that's going to heaven living with god like that the different gradations the dualistic schools speak of four kinds even sometimes five kinds of um, mukti liberation salokya you go to the same plane as god that means um, you know heaven brahma loka in vedanta or vaikuntha for the vaishnavas so that's one kind of mukti you go and live in the basically you go to the same uh, city and live in the city of god samipya not only live in the city of god you are in the best locality you are living close to god you are in the the cool place to live in you are very close to god um then uh, then, then uh, the sarupya you get a form like that of god and then sayudya you become you have i have a oneness with god um there are so many different ways of thinking about about liberation the devotional kind of liberation who goes there partha anuchintayan so this word is used again and again anuchintayan anuchintayan literally means having learned all this one spends time thinking about god one powerful way is repeating the mantra but it also could be repeating the mantra listening to devotional songs reading about the divine play of god or the leela of the avatar or reading the teachings the conversations like we read the gospel of sri ramakrishna that's a practice that's anuchintayan or i mentioned how swami uh, chetanandi maharaj has this practice where he goes to all the places mentally sitting in meditation all the places associated with sri ramakrishna um, dakshineshwar kamarpukur jairambati also belurmat itself um, so all of these places and a vivid like a virtual tour you know so you can actually feel your presence there that's also anuchintaya you living in the presence of deity your mind is there your mind is with god then the next verse soaring poetry again extraordinary poetry one of the most beautiful verses kavim puranam anushasitaram ಅನೋರಣೀಯಾಂಸಮನೋಸ್ಮರೆಧ್ಯಾಧಿತ್ಯವರ್ಣಂಸಾಸ್ತಾತ್ಮನಸಾಚಲೇನ ಭ್ರುವೋರ್ಮಧ್ಯೆ ಪ್ರಾಣಮೇಷ್ಯಸಮ್ಯಕ್ಸಿಟೇಟ್ಸ್ ಎಟ್ ದ ಟೈಮ್ ಆಫ್ ಡೆತ್ ವಿತ್
life breath in between the eyebrows on the being who is wise ancient the ruler smaller than the smallest the sustainer of all inconceivable form resplendent like the sun and beyond ignorance he attains that shining supreme being very poetic kavim puranam anushasitaram anoraniyan samanusmaredya one who contemplates at the time of death what does one contemplate so there is descriptions of god these are all descriptions of saguna brahman nirguna brahman book so saguna brahman means ishvara god god of religion nirguna brahman the absolute reality which is our own real nature kavi so kavi immediately anybody who knows an indian language will think poet so kavi means poet uh, but there is a technical meaning of kavi in vedanta kranta darshi shankaracharya says kranta darshi means far seeing the far seer the one who sees till the end the one who sees everything in other words the omniscient one who knows everything um so god knows everything our past our present our future everything in this universe so omniscience one of the characteristics of god and avatara sri ramakrishna suddenly once he's telling in the early uh, you know part of the gospel of sri ramakrishna he's telling m the author of uh, the gospel tell me i know everything about you do i not your past and your future and what overcame m he immediately says yes master you do you know everything about me my past and my future that is kavi krantadarshi the, the far seer somebody said about swami vivekananda swami vivekananda you know used to say i see this what will happen in the, the the future of india rising glo- more glorious than its past or in belurmat the last kind of prophecy he made that i see that this place will be a great university in the future do not think i imagine it i see it somebody said that said about swami vivekananda we, we can't see further than the tips of our noses you know we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow we can only guess and he would is not guessing he is not making a wish he says straight forward i see it centuries into the future not one day two days decades centuries clearly he told uh, um, tilak the great freedom fighter that i see that india will attain its freedom in 50 years and that was in 1897 exactly 50 years later india attained its freedom india attained her freedom uh, he talked about as uh, the rise of communism he talked about the future rise of china and all those things sounded crazy at that time the, predicted a golden future for india a colonized country backward superstitious people were starving the most least likely of nations to rise in future so was china backward in the community of nations but now you just see um he predicted the world wars he says europe is sitting on a, pow- a powder keg anyway um so krantadarshi farseer who is the greatest farseer of all god who sees everything kavi now so it means omniscient the all knowing now it also means poet many people those who study vedanta they think oh, so this is a technical meaning it means farseer doesn't mean poet it also means poet uh the uh, uh rigveda in one of the vedic sentences is it compares the universe to the poetry of god pashya devasya kavyam look upon the poetry of god look upon the 
the composition of god literally composition of god what is the composition of god universe yona jiriyati namamarahun which neither which knows no decay which knows neither decay nor death uh, oh man look upon the poetry of god which knows neither decay nor death pashya devasya kabyam when i heard this it was very let me share that story um, this was about 17 years ago i was in the high himalayas in in gangotri i met this remarkable old monk he had been a sevak an attendant to Swa- uh, tapovan swami ji tapovan swami ji was one of the greatest masters of vedanta long ago long before our time uh, in the early 20th century up to the mid 20th century actually and he was the spiritual teacher of you know the chinmay mission is there chinmay mission swami chinmay anand ji spiritual teacher the, who taught vedanta to chinmay anand ji so a lot you can hear from chinmay anand ji his reminiscences about tapovan swami ji this swami um was whom i met sundarananda he was uh, an attendant and his story to cut it short he told me his story uh, he was in his 80s when i met him and he has passed since so he told me a story how as a young boy he ran after the himalayas to become a monk so that's the beauty of india where like you know people here run away to los angeles to hollywood to become film stars uh, or nowadays in india some people run off to bollywood to become film stars so people run away to the himalayas to become um, monks and spiritual seekers so the young boy he ran off to the himalayas this sundarananda and finally after long many adventures he came to this great teacher tapovan swami but he was not educated i mean um, sundarananda so tapovan swami was teaching very high vedanta to his students which, who were a band of monks it was very it was a very very austere setting but that's a different story um so because sundarananda was not educated tapovan swami initially would not accept him he said what will you do here i teach vedanta and it's in sanskrit and um, upanishads and the commentaries what will you do here and so sundarananda said i told him that i like you and i just want to stay near you i'll i'll serve you i'll clean the place i'll cook uh, i'll take care of you and the students just let me stay here let me i'll just sit and listen to you all so he did that all his life as long as tapovan swami was here he became the most dedicated attendant he took care of tapovan swami did personal service for him till the end of his life and his guru tapovan swami to to his to his credit it must be said that when tapovan swami passed he passed literally almost literally on the lap of this sundarananda at the end of tapovan swami's life um all right now all this is background to what tapovan swami gave him a special practice he said since you are not you cannot understand vedanta as it is taught uh, because you lack the the background knowledge you you see god with open eyes he quoted from kabir tapovan swami told sundaran and sundaran they told me right there where it had been told that that hut it's still there he said uh, the master kabir said in in hindi khule nayan dekhu sahab ko with open eyes i look upon sahab literally means sir <laughs> the lord so i look upon my beloved lord with open eyes khule nayan dekhu sahab ko not in meditation not in philosophical abstraction and not in some breakthrough advaitic non dualistic no with open eyes how how and then the next he quoted from the 
Vedas. Pashya Devasya Kabhyam Yona Jiryati Namamara. Look upon the poetry of the Lord, which need, knows neither decay nor death. And he said, you will find God in the Ganga and in the Himalayas. So Tapuan Swami told this person, this young monk. So the rest of his life, for the next 40, 50, 50 years, 60 years, he wandered through the Himalayas and uh, he was always fascinated by the mountains and the rivers. So that's how. There's, if you look up Amazon, there's a book. Uh, it's called Himalaya by Swami Sundarananda. And it's, um, it's a collection of photographs. What happened was, well, the story is becoming longer than it should. But anyway, let me just finish it up. What happened was, after Tapuvan Swami passed, um, this Sundarananda, he became a well-known mountaineering guide in his own right. Because he had known these secret pathways in the Himalayas, which nobody knew in those days. So after independence of India, when the uh, mountaineering teams started coming from the west to climb, you know, the, the giants of the Himalayas. Uh, so he would guide them. And this was also his opportunity to visit some of the tallest peaks of the Himalayas. He told me a beautiful story once. Kalindi Peak, I think that's 22,000 feet or 23,000 feet. He said, I, I took up a European mountaineering team up there and they were busy planting the flag and doing, taking pictures. And he, he told me in Hindi, I still remember. He said, I was so overcome with ecstasy. He chanted the Ravana's uh, hymn to Shiva. The Jata Atavi, Galad Jalad. That's a very rhythmic, powerful hymn to Shiva. Um, and he says, I chanted that and I danced on the peak of, of the Kalindi mountain at 22,000 feet. <laughs> For him, it is the abode of Shiva. So he did that. And uh, in fact, in the 1962 Indo-Chinese War, the Indian army took his help, Swami Sundarananda's help. And he told me how he showed them passes, Himalayan passes. Even now, there is a pass named after him uh, in the Himalayas called the Sundarananda Pass. But this is all that he had learned from Tapovan Swami. Um, oh, he told where all this came from. I asked him, how do you survive in, in those days? Now there's so many devotees come in those places in Gangotri, but at that time there was nobody. He said the army used to give me supplies because they were very grateful. And so generation after generation, they knew that there is this monk in that uh, little hut high up on that mountain. You should feed him. So they would give some of their rations to this monk. Um, so what happened was an European um, photographer noticed this young monk. He was basically the guide, noticed his interest in photography in those days with those you know, big cameras and all. So he um, taught him, this European mountaineer and photographer, taught this Swami Sundaranda photography and left his camera and some rolls of film with him. And the Swami became a well-known photographer. Uh, in, uh, in India, he's well-known. He got national awards. Uh, and uh, there used to be a magazine growing up when, when we were kids. There was a magazine in India called the Illustrated Weekly of India. Uh, and so there were his pictures were published there. He went on national tours with slideshows. So uh, his subject always was Himalaya and Ganga, the mountains, uh, Himalayan mountains and the river, and all in, in, the, in, uh, in the Himalayas. And even the book which was published, he doesn't know English. The book is in English. So it was an, an Austrian uh, visitor 
school who was stunned by his collection of photos and he said this needs to be preserved so he said give everything to me he took it and then he published it from singapore or somewhere so the swami has one or two copies he doesn't even know what's in his own book except the photos and once he was telling me about one of his uh, samadhi experience he had um, uh, in vashishta guha and i completed it for him i said you then you had this experience he was stunned he said how do you know i said it's in the book you showed me the book then he burst out laughing he said oh they've written that also in hindi he said wo bhi dal diya isme he must have told the devotee earlier about it uh, and so he dedicated his life to like contemplation on the mountains and the river and uh, he became a known conservationist protecting the river and the mountain anyway he passed a few years ago why did i say it kavi the university the universe is the poetry of of god and definitely he said the, the himalayas and the ganga uh, is the poetry of god he told me things which is thrilling he said in hindi i'll repeat and then i'll translate he said mahatma ji hai hai ye hriday mein angushta matra purusha he said there is there is believe me a young monk the you know there's a upanishadic term the atman the lord of the size of the thumb in your heart it's not symbolic it's not just poetic expression you can experience god in that way he says believe me monk and then he sort of fell silent he sighed and he said kya kare aap log to buddhi jeevi hai aapko vishwas nahi hoga you are all intellectuals what can i say you won't believe it you won't believe i know you won't believe me <laughs> i mean i can't say share everything with uh, the public here many amazing things uh, we talked for hours and he talked and uh, you'd have to get through a barrier because he was known for his rough temper so first thing is he would scold you very roughly you'd have to put up with that i actually saw visitors leaving in tears so you can't leave in tears you have to put up with that then he opens his heart up to you and then so all right so kavi all that was for the universe and definitely the himalaya and the ganga are the poetry of the lord and if you see the pictures in that book it's amazing puranam the ancient one shankaracharya says purapi nava puranam means ancient yet modern ever fresh um somebody said that india is forever aging and forever young <laughs> who said that swami ranganathan ji quotes so puranam purapi nava ancient and yet yet always young always new always fresh puranam anushasitaram the lord of the universe who controls everything sri ramakrishna says even a leaf does not move here without the with without the wish of the lord so he is the control of the universe means everything every little thing here happens because we know as brahman as existence is everywhere everything is the lord there is in fact nothing but the lord anushasitaram and yet anoraniyam smaller than the uh, than atoms anu means the smallest particle smaller than the smallest particle see it is existence itself so the smallest particle if it exists it must be in that smallest particle so it's finer than that subtler than that it is subtler than 
it's like this here is a physical world this is from we feel it's solid it's out there subtler than that we feel in ourselves the breath go further subtler than that our mind feelings emotions perceptions go further subtler than that understanding ideas they seem so abstract so fine so delicate go further the ego itself i go further blankness subtler than that go further beyond that uh, the witness of all of this from the gross to the subtle that is um, this atma or brahman so it's the subtlest of all smaller than the smallest and it does not add here but it's also larger than the largest vaster than the vastest because everything else is, is appears within brahman by the way this is a direct quote from the upanishads so krishna here is uh, openly quoting from the upanishads then sarvasya dhataram the support of all just as water is the support of all waves and and foam and uh, and drops of water in the ocean all of that is support is water gold is the support of all ornaments clay is the support of all clay pottery similarly brahman which is existence sat is the support of the entire universe there is a special sense of this sarvasya dhataram it means um the one who gives us the results of karma so you know all the indian systems of philosophy except the materialist accepts the law of karma that means cause and effect whatever we are experiencing now is the result of our past actions whatever we do now will be um, will be reflected in our future lives but then the question arises which intelligent principle which cosmic banker is in charge of all our credit and debit so it's god in all the theistic systems the vaishnava shaiva shakta all the theistic systems in uh, india is god in whatever form they worship god shiva durga uh, kali vishnu um, it is always god who is one term is used karmadhyaksha the lord of karma so we get what we deserve but it's through the grace of of the lord and it's for our own good and yet because god is in charge god has alone as the power of um can extend you a line of credit whenever we don't deserve it or can uh, will cannot may not call in the loans when we are supposed to pay and give us some a breather but only for spiritual purposes so life actually is actually easier in a karmic sense if you are spiritual there's an incentive to be spiritual one way if the whole game is for spiritual enlightenment then one way in the which the lord makes us spiritual is by the law of karma we get kicks and blows till we come back on track if we are on track to spiritual evolution the kicks and blows are much less it still be there will be much less that's a rather complicated way of saying that leading an immoral life is a bad idea leading trying to lead a moral life is generally a good idea if you want peace of mind a better life more sustainable life definitely sarvasya dhataram achintya roopam of inconceivable form form means of inconceivable nature 
Why inconceivable? For two reasons. One is God is so awesome, so extraordinary, so much beyond our capacity to understand. Achintya, inconceivable. The best that they have tried is some of the most glorious and awesome poetry in human history in every theistic religion where they have tried to describe God. Um, Gita, 11th chapter, always comes to mind where Krishna gives the vision of Vishwarupa, his cosmic form, the Virat which we were talking about in the Upanishad class on Wednesday. That form is shown to Arjuna. And it doesn't do much good. Arjuna asked for it, prayed for it. And the result was he was terrified. And he said, I don't want to see it. I'm terrified. Show me your human form again. I don't want to see this. This is, an American would say, mind-blowing. That's why people go mad sometimes. If they're not prepared, they go mad. Um, a couple of examples, Mathur Babu himself, Ridai uh, Ram, they asked Sri Ramakrishna that give us that, that vision. You seem to be having the vision of God. At least once, let us see. They couldn't bear it. Ridai Ram became uh, like a megalomaniac when Sri Ramakrishna touched him and he says, Oh, uncle, we are not ordinary human beings. We are beings of light. We have come here for the welfare of the world. What are we doing here? Come on, let's go from land to land and set humanity free. And Sri Ramakrishna said, hush, you fool. I have these visions every day and night and you just have a tiny bit of it and you can't control yourself. You're making a commotion. And then he touches him and says in Bengali, Jara Jara means insentient. It means dull or back to what you were earlier. (laughs) Now you're lit up. Stop, switch off. <laughs> because otherwise he's going to blow a fuse. And then Hridai wept. Oh, uncle, what have you done to me? Now I have lost it all. Um, so one Swami humorously remarked, that blessing has come down to all of us. <laughs> remain, remain as, uh, you know, not lit up. Don't be uh, lit up by the divine consciousness. That's why we keep saying, I'm not getting anything. Nothing is happening to us. Yes. So um, until we have played our parts in this little life that we have got, then hopefully we'll be set free. Until that time, that that blessing, remain, literally remain like a blockhead. No spirituality, zero, baseline, flat. And Mathur Babu couldn't bear it. Um, he said he was burning. He said, take it away, uh, what you have given it. Vaikuntranath uh, Sanyal, he came to Sri Ramakrishna on 1st January 1886, where everybody who came and bowed down to him, they got extraordinary visions, extraordinary realizations. Vaikuntranath Sanyal came and prayed to him, and Sri Ramakrishna blessed him. So somebody many years later asked him, what did you see? He said, I saw Sri Ramakrishna everywhere. Everybody seemed to have different experiences. Some went into deep samadhi, some sang and danced, some started started chanting hymns and showering Sri Ramakrishna with flower petals. Uh, Some went into ecstasy. I saw Sri Ramakrishna everywhere. Uh, In the sky, the, the smiling face of Sri Ramakrishna, in the sky, in the earth, Wherever I looked, with eyes open, with eyes closed, 
and my heart was bursting with joy. When I left the Kashipur, that temple garden, the garden house, walked through the streets of Calcutta back home, it didn't cease even one bit, not for one moment, not one, not no effort. And it was not only it was not my effort, it was unstoppable. And then I went back home. And I had no interest in anything else. I was just overwhelmed by this. I, I had to really struggle hard to do the things in life which I had to do. The day passed. Whole night. Absolutely not even the slightest sleep. You know, always immersed in the thought of God. Three days passed like that and I became terribly scared. I can't eat. I can't attend to my, my work, my, you know, my job, my family duties. And then I couldn't sleep. Is uh, I thought I will go mad. I'll die. So I prayed to Sri Ramakrishna, what you have given me, please take it away. And the moment he prayed, he said it went away. And then uh, he says, now I spend my days. Uh, I, I think now, I think he's saying this 20 or 30 years later. I think, uh, why did I do that? I should have stayed with that. And at worst, what would have happened? I would have gone mad or I would have died. That's all right. What did I get in, in return? What did I get in exchange? When I sent it back, I got the world back in exchange. It's a, everything is just as it was. Uh, but he says, my only solace is uh, every time, every day I remembered that. That is a vivid remembrance of that. That is, uh, I can remember that experience. It's memory. It's not that experience, but several times in a day I remember it. And that's how I pass my days till the end of my days. So that was one experience. Um, but he was a pretty worldly man, actually. <laughs> he had a very strange, mixed relationship with uh, direct disciples. I met a very old Swami, um, Biren Maharaj, in, 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 in the main monastery, in mother's house, he was there. Uh, he lived till the age of 104. When I met him, he was in his late 90s. So he served Swami Saradananda in mother's house in Calcutta. And he saw this Vaikuntranath Sanyal. He told me that he would come quite often to talk with Swami Saradananda because he knew all the direct disciples. He had known Sri Ramakrishna. So I asked, what did, he, what did they talk about? And the Swami told me, I never heard anything good from his lips. He would come and sit with Swami Saradanandaji and talk about the latest theatrical performance in Star Theatre, Girish Ghosh's theatre. It's like talking about the latest Hollywood movie, you know. And Saradhananji, Swami Saradhananji would smoke the Hubble bubble and all he would do was, hmm, mm hmm, hmm. And then Vaikuntranath Sanyal would spend some time, talk, and then bow down to him and then leave. And Saradhananji wouldn't say a single thing. He would just say, hmm, I see. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, but who knows? But they were so blessed by Sri Ramakrishna. I still remember that old monk. I was so excited. Oh, you saw Vaikuntranath Sanyal talking to Swami Saradananda. What did they talk about? What did he say? And he said, not one good thing. <laughs> All right. Sarvasya dhataram achintya rupam. So inconceivable form. That's why I was talking about inconceivable form. But there's another reason why the form is inconceivable. Because uh, it is not an object. Mind can conceive of something that's an object, something that you can see, hear, smell, taste, touch, something that you can think about, something that language can express. But as we know, Atman, pure consciousness, is not an object. 
like the 10th man story i won't repeat it so it's not something out there it's not something that you hear smell taste touch it's not something that you can think about it's not something that you can speak about it's not even something that you can even form any kind of conception about that's mind that speech those are the senses so how do we know it all it is that by which the mind thinks and the speech uh, speaks and the eyes see um, so the kano upanishad is big on this it says that by which that which cannot be an object of the eyes but by which the eyes have the experience of you know will give you the experience of seeing that which mind cannot think of but because of which the mind thinks that which the speech cannot speak of but because of which the speech speaks the tongue speaks and so on so that is the one basically it means consciousness it's you it's pure consciousness so it's not an object hence achintya uh, rupam it is not it cannot be conceived of so theoretical dark who knows what it is aditya varnam blazing forth uh, like the sun as clear as that um, nisargadatta maharaj says so what is this brahman like somebody asked you are experiencing brahman all the time he said yes so what is it like is it some kind of idea some kind of conception and he says look at the noon day sun in mumbai as bright and blazing as that for me brahman all the time effortlessly blazes forth aditya varnam but it's not a material light like this light it is the light of consciousness it's your light it's the light by which you are living your life right now tamasa parasta forever beyond the darkness of death misery sadness unhappiness tamasa parasta so what are we to do on this amazing being among on this amazing reality prayana kale at the time of death manasa chalena by a steady mind focused mind bhaktya by a devoted mind a lifetime of the emotions are focused on god i love god i rely on god i surrender to god lord only you are there for me and nothing else in this universe and that's devotion and focus by lifelong practice of meditation mind is focused how do you do this yoga balena by the regular practice of yoga yoga here is the practice meditation yoga yoga balena bhuvor madhye pranam aveshya samyak so this is difficult practice prana here is the life breath is an expert in pranayama first the prana is concentrated in the heart by intense focus in the heart there sushumna there is anadi then the prana is taken up Uh, to the the agnya chakra vishuddha chakra first then the agnya chakra here and then from there to the sahasrara from which uh, the yogi leaves the body so there is something called the brahmarandra and the yogi leaves the body remember whom whom are we talking about not the one who has already got brahma gyana who is uh, jivan mukta who has already realized that person doesn't have to do this may do it may not do it it's entirely it's uh, immaterial because that person already knows i am brahman this one is the one who's devoted does is not fully enlightened yet uh, leaves like this and reaches heaven which is the brahma loka the proximity the the uh, presence of god bhuvor madhye pranam aveshya samyak satam param purusham upaiti divyam leaves the body and attains to that transcendent infinite purusha divyam shining that shining being basically attains to god at the time of death 
Now, one clarification. I said that the non-dualist, Advaitin, not all Advaitins, the one who has realized I am Brahman, need not go through this process because this, uh, this, that person is already liberated, already knows I am Brahman. There's no question of going anywhere. The body will die and that's it. The death of that one and the death of this one, you can see, in fact, from outside also one can see a little difference. The rare Jivan Muktas who are already free in this life, when the body dies, it just stops. One person who witnessed such a death told me, it's just like, literally, like a clock ticking, you know, and running out of, you you used to wind up clocks earlier. So, tick, 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 stop. Nothing else. In fact, I can tell you who told me this. Swami Suhitanji told me, he saw the passing of Swami Premeshananda, who was was regarded as a Jeevan Mukta, Brahma Jnani. And um, he was surprised because how he passed, Swami Premeshananji, he said, at the time of his death in in Banaras, uh, the doctor had come to check. He was very ill. The doctor had come to check and the doctor said, today he seems to be better. The doctor left the room. It was time to feed the old Swami, who was also blind. And uh, this young attendant used to feed him, take care of him just like a mother, you know. So with a spoon, saying, Swami, open your mouth and put the spoon in. The second spoon, Swami, open your mouth. He was not opening his mouth. And so this young attendant, he thought, sometimes the Swami was like a childlike, so he had to coax him. One more spoon. Then he said, I felt something odd. So I put the spoon down and ran to the doctor, who was just crossing the courtyard. He had just left. So come back and take a look. He seems a little different. Came back. Swami has passed. Between one spoonful and the next. Now, so that was the end. But the Swami Suhitanji told me that he had a little doubt in his mind. He had seen other great monks passing and devotees, you know, both householder devotees and great, uh, other great Swamis who were, who were disciples of the direct disciples. In many cases, they were extraordinary visions. You know, the hair standing on the end, visions of, uh, of a divine presence, of, of Sri Ramakrishna coming, and the number of such extraordinary experiences. And he says, I, was, I felt a little let down. I always thought Swami Premishanda was a Brahmachani. Nothing, just like a clock ticking, tick, tick, tick. Silence. So he went to uh, another great Swami who was in Banaras at that time, Swami uh, Vishwarupanandaji. So he was the one who has written, uh, he is well known in our order for writing a commentary and explanation of the Brahma Sutras, four volumes. I have it in my, this is a huge work. Great Vedantic scholar. So Swami Suhitanji went and asked him, I have a question that uh, I served Swami Premeshanji so closely, Holy Mother's disciple, everybody regards him as Brahma Jnani. Well, what is your question? But when he passed, I I expected to see, you know, spiritual fireworks. (laughs) So I expected to see some vision, something, nothing. It just stopped. And then this Swami was excited. He said, what are you saying? Did did you see that? He said, yes. Then he showed him references from the Upanishads, from Vedantic literature. This is the sign of a Brahma Jnani, of a Jivan Mukta. Others, they will leave the body and go to a very high plane, which is described in the Gita here. That's where at that time, you're full of the thought of God and you may have extraordinary visions and then you are actually traveling, but traveling on an astral plane to the highest possible realms, what is in 
every culture every religion is known as the heavens highest heaven seventh heaven what not um in vedantic cosmology it literally is the seventh heaven if you count but in the case of an enlightened person nothing like that happens all the person is already gone long ago when the person make the breakthrough is one with brahman what you saw was the person continuing under the past impulse of karma it stops when karma is exhausted it stops the physical body will go back to physical nature the subtle body will not travel this is the big difference between the um, the krama mukti the sequential liberation and the sadhya mukti the immediately liberated so the immediately liberated who have already been liberated the subtle body will not travel mind intellect senses the inner instrument it will all merge back into subtle nature whereas in the case of the advanced yogi the subtle body will not travel to the to a higher loka the highest loka to the presence of god so this is the difference and this is he says he so told swami swetanji this is what you witness the rarest of events the passing of a uh, of a jivan mukta i know of one or two references definitely which say this uh, mundakopanishad talks about the passing of a brahmagyanya jivan mukta gata kala pancha dasha pratishta very beautiful um, mantra it's like rivers merging into the vast ocean nothing is left behind of the original river so um, like that physical body goes back to physical nature the subtle body goes back to subtle nature and the atman pure consciousness is pure consciousness always was not one trace is left and yet what is left is brahman infinite existence so that person has become brahman as one with brahman whereas this other one they are yogis they are devotees they still have a scenic route to go few more stops along the way and again or, or one more clarification so just because a person passes in this way does it mean that a person is belongs to this category and is not enlightened is not uh, jivan mukta may not be notice a jivan mukta is not somebody oh i have attained god now i don't need to do all this stuff about meditating on god i can i can have a blast even when the body is dying no they are already so merged in god it's quite possible at the time of death they may be deeply merged and the mind also may be deeply merged in the thought of god and they may actually pass like this they may give up the body like this and they may actually be jivan muktas swami vivekananda gave up the body like this number of other great uh, yogis gave up the body like this again there may be some some of the direct disciples for example who retain their individuality at the command of god so when they give up the body they still retain individuality uh, so that they can help humanity so there are these varieties are there that does not mean they are somehow lower than the jivan mukta let me quickly through questions so these are very beautiful um um beautiful uh, verses and they are drawn from the upanishads soaring soaring sublime poetry rick says i don't believe i met a fan of the direct path who is still who isn't still pro- uh, progressing some have demonstrated quite embarrassingly that asserting i am brahman does not mean they are living the truth that is true uh, it's not that fast it's it's much easier to say i am seeking i am progressing than to claim i have attained in fact i have attained is a very very problematic statement even from the vedantic perspective kenu upanishad says those who think that they have attained 
definitely have not attained. Bill says, Sri Ramakrishna declares in this age, Jnana is difficult and Bhakti is easy. Rick says, oh, uh, the book. Oh, you actually found it. Wonder if it's still available. Yes, that is the book. And there is a, even the picture of the Swami is there. Yes. Ramya says, I have read that Swami Chinmananda wanted to bring Tapuvan Maharaj to Delhi for treatment hospital, tried to convince him, but all silent Tapuvan Maharaj said, don't people die in Delhi, that's true. In fact, that's how Chinmanandaji's um, mission started. He told Tapuvan Maharaj that what you have given me is extraordinary, but the people of the world are deprived of this, people in the plains of India. How many people? So Tapuvan Maharaj said, no, they will um, have to come here and learn in this way, the way everybody, you have come and others have come. And Jinmayanji told him that, how many can do this? You have to become a monk, you have to beg for your food, stay in a, in a cave or a hut in the high Himalayas, and all you get for that is two classes and plenty of scoldings. So, uh, how many can do that? People have families and jobs and you know, weaknesses and suffering. So, why don't you come and teach this to the world? He said, no, those whose karma will bring them here, they will do. Uh, they will come. I, I, will, I cannot do that. Uh, he will not descend below a certain altitude. <laughs> so, Chinmanji said, then I will do it. Anyway, the story after that is very well known and I will not take it up also. There, is, there are other angles to it. But anyway, ultimately, Tapuvan Maharaj blessed him. At first, Tapuvan Maharaj was completely against the idea. But then Tapuvan Maharaj blessed him. And the result is this, the Chinmay mission you see all over the world now. That's the result. Someone says, Pranam Swamiji, did he get a chance to meet Hanuman? I don't know. <laughs> Sri says, Swami Chetanandji often says, God can erase one's faith. Yes. Karmonasha. Kapal Mochan. I mean this eraser of karma. Correct. This is a means eraser of karma. Under what conditions would God offer this grace? Remorse, good karma, service, spiritual practice, the, the intense desire to realize God. Other things like remorse, good karma, service, what they do is everything has an effect. So if you do good service, especially if you help people uh, consistently, that generates so much good karma that uh, your storehouse, uh, you know, that good karma will be activated and the bad karma will be pushed to the back. So that's all you need a little gap in your troubles and suffering so that you can. Seek and practice and be liberated. Shri says, Can you help us process the events of this week in Texas? A Catholic priest said that on the news that this evening the families should remember that God is in control. What should our prayer be for these families? Um, peace, being centered in God. And see, there is nothing that you can say to people at this time, which will I have. You know that somebody said, there is no word for somebody who loses a child. There's a word for somebody who loses a wife or a husband, a widower or a widow, uh, a child who loses parents, an orphan. But there's no word for somebody who loses a child because this is the worst kind of uh, suffering that can befall uh, a, a human being. That I am alive, but my child is dead, especially a young child. Uh, I'm always reminded of Baburam Maharaj's mother. She was highly devoted, deeply devoted to Sri Ramakrishna. So once Sri Ramakrishna said, can you give me something? She said, of course. 
your son is a very pure boy. Give him to me. Um, so she said, this is, a, this is his great good fortune that he will live with you. And so that boy Baburam became Swami Premananda. But she set two conditions. She said two conditions. She said, does a mother give away a child so easily? Sri Ramakrishna laughed and said, so what do you want in return? In return for your son. She said two things. One, that I might have unshaking devotion to you. I have devotion to God, unshakable devotion to God all my life. Second, um, he should not die before me. I know one day he will die. One day I will die. But I should die before him. I, so they see, even a person like Bhavra Maharaj's mother, he doesn't want, she doesn't want to see that the most terrible thing she can think of is uh, her child dying before her. Sri Ramakrishna smiled and said, so be it. And many years later, it came out true. A terrible illness, Bhavra Maharaj lay dying. He told the other monks who were serving him, that he said, do not worry. My old mother is still alive. As long as the old lady is alive, nothing is going to happen to me. And he made a miraculous recovery. And the last time in his last illness, his mother had just passed away. And the direct disciples who were his brother disciples, who knew Sri Ramakrishna from that time, who knew this secret, they, they said, there's no way of saving him now. He will go. And he did pass at that time. Well, Swami Brahmananda was certainly a Jeevan Mukta, but had a beautiful stirring death, extraordinary death. Many of the direct disciples. So in their case, one thing would be, they didn't just stop. In many cases, they had visions and extraordinary. Uh, it was a glorious passing and people were stunned by the, uh, the upsurge of spiritual emotions around them. You know, if you just stay near this dying person. Uh, but these are people who, will, uh, who are Jeevan Muktas. They will not disappear into the infinity of Brahman. They will remain in the close proximity of God and maybe come again and so on. So there's something more to it than that. Swami Brahmananda had the vision. There is no time today. So, if I remember next time, we'll read the passing of Swami Brahmananda. It's very stirring, very, very inspiring. Is the Jivan Mukta totally free of attachments? Yes. Um, but might apparently seem no, because the mind has its conditioning. So just leave it at that. Shilpa says, Swamiji, you say Maya is dynamic. Once an enlightened person passes and subtle body merges to Brahman, does this mean they transcend Maya and three gunas? No more cyclic phenomenon? Yes, for the enlightened person. It's no longer a person anyway. It's, um, Brahman transcends Maya. They have realized that they are Brahman. So they transcend Maya. Then the individual subtle body is lost. There is no more individuality for them. All right. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu. Just on the question of the, the children who died so tragically, one thing one can always you don't have to tell anybody, but one should know that what religion teaches us, not just Vedanta, every religion in the world teaches us, those who die are not really dead. None of us ultimately are dead. It's not totally wiped out and gone forever. So the beloved person who is dead is beyond our reach, certainly, but is not gone. It still continues to exist, either in the cycle of samsara or in the presence of God or as liberated. Yeah, so, 
that i think is a great consolation of religion okay